Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. And my name is Shivriglani. Our guest today sits at the intersection of two of the most significant trends coming out of the COVID pandemic, the growing demand for mental health services and the boom in providing virtual care. Dr. Thomas Sang is co-founder and CEO of Valera Health, a telemental health company that emphasizes a team-based approach and outcome measurements. Dr. Sang has a varied background in academia, government, and the private sector, and has spent much of his career focused on using health IT to improve the delivery and quality of care. Before we get started, I'd like to give a shout out both to Diana Anthony, who's a shared investor in Osmosis and Valera, who made the introduction to Dr. Sang, as well as Sachin Jain, through whom I first met Dr. Sang, uh, I think when they were both at Merck. So I'd like to thank Dr. Sang for taking the time to be with us today and welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Um, Please call me Tom. Okay. Okay, Tom. Um, So I'd like to first start by learning more about you and what got you interested in medicine and then a career as a CEO of a telemental health startup. I've been in medicine much longer than I would admit. It's been over 25 years. I've been an internist and then got into public health. I was running a community primary care clinic, comprehensive community clinic for the Asian American population in Chinatown of New York City, serving um, an underserved population with underinsurance or no insurance. And that got me interested in public health issues and had an opportunity to get involved with the ACA and joined uh, the Ways and Means Committee as a staffer, was part of the team that wrote Obamacare, was part of the Obama administration. That's where I met Sachin Jane, and then did some work at the state level for the governor of Hawaii doing some Medicaid reform and got recruited into the private sector. At Merck Pharmaceuticals, I spent a lot of time working on digital solutions and was really fascinated on the speed for how digital solutions and startups can really propel a new idea into the marketplace. And I thought potentially I could do that as well and was fortunate enough to meet several of my co-founders throughout the process and got together a great team and some great investors. On this issue of mental health, you know, it's a personal passion of mine. My family members went through some issues. I went through some issues early on during residency. And I really truly believe it's an underserved area that technology could help on. And while we're in the pandemic and it's just been a remarkable journey and major traction that we're seeing. Wow, uh, there's a lot of uh, threads I could pull on, but first let's go to Valera and learn more about the company, why you started it, and how you differentiate. We've been fortunate at Osmosis to have several people on the podcast, including Comms Chief Medical Officer Omar Dawood, um, and there's definitely been a, a resurgence of interest or a massive interest in mental health and virtual care, as mentioned in the intro. So what specifically sets Valera apart, and what's your unique value proposition? Yeah, so our biggest unique value proposition is that we are a comprehensive service model. We see both mild and moderate, as well as severe cases. By severe cases, I'm talking about conditions like schizophrenia, like bipolar disorder, like people with PTSD and substance abuse. 30 to 40% of our patients actually have a severe, persistent mentally ill diagnosis. These are conditions that are basically lifelong. 
They require chronic management, medications, and therapy. And many of the patients can't access care right now. Most companies right now, most of the providers in the community do not accept them. And some of these patients that we see have been waiting three or four months. If it wasn't for us to be available and being able to see them within seven to 10 days, they wouldn't get care elsewhere. Two is right now we're in two markets. We're in New York and Arizona, and we are working with 14 health plans that cover 12 million people so far. So in the marketplace, I would say over 60% of the providers out there do not accept health insurance. They certainly do not accept patients with Medicaid or managed Medicaid. And so we're a comprehensive service that really accept a lot of insurance plans. And we work with government sponsored plans, Medicaid and Medicare as well. And so we're serving a huge need by giving these patients access to services. Yeah, I mean, clearly, and it kind of speaks to some of the roots you've had, uh, both in government as well as working in Chinatown, as you mentioned. And when you said that, I, I thought back to a, one of my favorite interviews on the podcast is with Richard Park, who you may know now started Render Care, um, really tremendous, like you, clinician and operator. You know, how has COVID affected your work at Valera? I'm sure there's been a ton of investor interest, maybe clinicians and patients as well. Can you walk us through how the company has adjusted to COVID and what do you think some of the lasting changes of COVID will be both on Valera as well as on the healthcare system? Yeah, we're seeing double digit month over month growth over the last 12 months. And certainly COVID had a negative impact on the general population. It's increased the amount of anxiety, depression. It's increased access issues because people don't want to travel to go get their care. And a lot of the providers are shutting down their brick and mortar practices and limiting their hours. And some of the providers who are the solo practitioners in the community are not equipped to do telehealth. And so there's definitely limited access. We've been able to fill a huge white space and avoid in this marketplace where people with SMI conditions, but people with serious mental health conditions like schizophrenia and bipolar disorders and substance abuse disorders can actually get the cure that they need in the privacy of their homes. And it's longitudinal. Our providers, our therapists, our psychiatrists, our nurse practitioners are able to provide the care on a weekly basis, on a regular interval basis. They're seeing the same providers at the same time and they're getting their medications as well. So it's been a great honor to be able to serve a purpose. And we've had tremendous partners in place in New York. We're working with great partners, some of the primary care practices, some of the larger practices like City Block we're working with. We're working with Caremount, which is in Westchester, one of the biggest practices in New York. We're working with NYU where they're seeing us as a credible mental health practice to send their patients to. So um, we're working with the NYPD. The NYPD is sending their officers to us. So it's great to have the confidence of these great, fantastic partners. Yeah, you've named a few. We work with NYU too. And then we had Toya Najayi, who's your chief medical officer at City Block. I'm sure she's worked with your team. It's a great list. There's a lot of talk about uh, 
burnout and mental illness in the provider community and even more so now with the Delta variant where a lot of the providers in my network and clearly Osmosis works with a lot of them are very frustrated because it's been you know 18 months of nonstop frontline care and then this newest wave seems like it could have been largely preventable if we flattened the curve and got more people vaccinated. So leading to a lot of early retirement, you were mentioning a lot of brick and mortar uh, psychiatrists, mental health counselors, maybe shutting down or aren't equipped for virtual care. Can you comment a bit about, you know, provider mental health and burnout and any trends there, or any recommendations for things we can do better for this group? Yeah, it's self-care. I need to listen and practice that myself and to just really be mindful of the amount of balance that you have in your life and spending time and taking care of yourself and, and spending time with family and just making sure that you're not overworking yourself because this is going to be a marathon. It's not a sprint and you need to pace yourself. I think we're going to see another 12 months ahead of us where potentially we may need to be limited in our physical presence and interacting with each other. And we're going to see some issues going on with the flu coming in in place. We had a really limited flu season, but I do think because of this hybrid model where people are much more relaxed and, and people are going into the workplace and now people are taking the subways, we're going to see an increase in flu cases. And that's going to throw a wrench, whether it's flu, whether it's COVID, um, so I think that the system is going to be taxed and I think healthcare workers really, really, really need to be cognizant and be mindful about self-care. Yeah, definitely. And that's out of uh, table stakes, I think now to be a, a provider and to get into this career, uh, in addition to the systems level change that clearly has to happen as well. When I talked to Omar at Calm and others in the mental health space, it seemed like recruiting um, social workers, mental health counselors and other physician extenders, psychologists or psychiatrist extenders is a big challenge. We don't have enough. There's a lot of venture-backed companies competing for them to join their platforms. You know, can you comment a bit about any training implications or recruitment implications to be able to truly scale virtual mental health care? Yeah, I think there's definitely a role for osmosis in the training piece. I, I think we're working as best as we can. We have a fantastic recruitment process where I think, you know, for us, one of the, another big differentiator is that our staff are full-time W-2 employees who have full benefits. You know, some of the companies out there who are network aggregators are taking on part-timers usually or contractors. And so we're seeing a big differentiator in, in that many of the People that we attract want a full-time position. They want the security. They don't want to deal with the headaches of working as a contractor. And so I think that's one piece where I think that helps us. Um, and then two is our mission. The fact that we work with a comprehensive population, working with people from underserved communities, from the LGBTQ plus community, we have one of the largest Chinese-speaking provider network. We have the one of the largest Spanish-speaking provider network, and we're growing our LGBT plus provider network as well. Having these special affinity groups creates a pipeline of interests for people who have an affinity for these special communities. And so I think that's another piece where I think it helps us recruit folks 
Yeah, those are clearly great value props for a clinician or provider to join Valera. And, you know, the patient experience seems like it'll be improved if you can keep these providers on the platform for longer, because I know one of the most unfortunate aspects of mental health care today virtually is how quickly people change platforms and then, you know, it leaves patients, takes them three months or four months to even get a provider. And then once that provider retires or switches to another platform, then they have yeah. another three or four months to find that. So it seems like that's a competitive advantage for you guys too. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, we like to call ourselves a practice and not a platform. It even starts with like the mind perspective of how we see ourselves. Yeah, I think that those words matter. And as you've grown bigger and bigger, uh, which by the way, I would love any sense of your scale in terms of number of employees and where you see that going in three to five years, as well as patient coverage. You know, you said 12 million lives covered through the health plans you work with in New York and, and Arizona. In Arizona. And, and in five years, where do you see that going or 10 years or whatever framework you use when you think about long-term vision planning? Well, I can tell you in the next 12 months, we'll be in 10 states. Wow. That's huge. Uh, logistically, that seems like a big challenge, but we've had other people on the podcast like Aaron Bali at Carbon Health that have done some aggressive growth just like that. Yeah, we see a huge unmet need across the marketplace for our type of model and our service. And we are trying to meet the demand. We get inbound traffic of, hey, can you work with us here? Can you work with us there? And um, we really, really need your help in taking care of this population. And so we're trying to meet the market demand and we are trying to go as quick as we can while still maintaining the high standards that we have. Yeah, that's great. Now, the government's obviously stepping in quite a bit for healthcare over the next few years. And under this administration, clearly President Biden was there with the ACA as well. What are your predictions or any predictions of things that have to happen to make sure mm -hmm. mental health care is appropriately funded, as well as any other legislation you would like to see so that we can counter both the pandemic as well as all the secondary concerns around mental health and virtual care? I think one is, you know, we no longer operate in a fee-for-service model. And I know there are pockets of innovations where both payers and providers are getting together in a value-based model, meaning we should not be operating in a fee-for-service environment any longer, like meaning transactional, I see you for 45 minutes, I get paid for 45 minutes. We should take into account the outcomes and, you know, you introduce our company focusing on measurable outcomes. And we are very proud of the achievements that we've made in terms of depression improvements, you know, 80% over four months for our patients in seeing depression improvement, depression remission, and also some of the follow-ups that we've done been seeing. It's fantastic follow-ups with people with schizophrenia and bipolar disorders. And we want to get paid for truly achieving these great clinical outcomes. And also digitally, you know, how can you pay for someone when you're transacting or when you're engaging the patient outside that 45 minute visit when a therapist is speaking through a chat message and our case managers are working with patients, you know, in between visits. So those are not the traditional CPT generated visits. So we have to really get the government to think about how do you move from this traditional model that 
has been taking place for the last 50 years, right? And move into this digital environment and pay and reimburse for services in such a manner. I think we're seeing that in remote places, but I don't see it wide enough. And then two is the whole notion of compact states and having the ability to work in multiple geographic markets through telehealth, because right now, this notion that you're limited to one geographic defined state area through licensing and through DEA license is just not practical and it doesn't serve patients. Yeah, that's a common theme that's come up and we'll see if some legislation gets extended, especially because the pandemic is still here. There's been a resurgence of interest in mental health care and non-traditional treatments for mental health care, both community programs, social determinants of health, as well as, you know, I was at Hopkins for med school. There's a, a large research initiative at Hopkins in psychedelics and use of psilocybin, MDMA, ketamine. Uh, I'm just curious if you don't mind commenting on some of that, where you see the field of mental health care going with regards to these non-traditional like approaches to providing mental health. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm glad that there's new research showing these different new pharmacokinetics uh, and properties of these types of chemicals. I think we still have yet to figure out what actually causes depression. We don't know the entire extent of how I'm going all science now, but we don't know the extent of like how inflammation affects depression. And there's all this research about some of these agents and new pharmacal agents can help decrease that inflammation. And it's not just all about SSRIs. And so I'm glad there's this whole new body research that we're looking into it and that we're open to looking into it and that we're instilling a rigorous investigation process and pathway in really understanding and having a FDA regulatory process in approving these drugs. So I'm all for it and I'm hopeful we can work in the space and partner with organizations. That's awesome. The way we got to know about the space a bit is our board member, Mitch, Mitch Rothschild, his wife, Rachel Yehuda, is a National Academy of Medicine, uh, Mount Sinai physician who does work with patients who have PTSD, uh, war veterans, and has done a lot of the research with MAPS, the MAPS group on psychedelics. So it'll be very interesting to see as you guys expand and reach more and more patients, how these therapies come live and these other trained providers come into the mental health care industry. I had two other questions for you. The first is, you know, as a physician who's had experience in the private sector, startups and tech and in government, what advice would you have for our audience of uh, current and future healthcare professionals about pursuing their career, especially now at this pivotal moment? So I'm always giving career advice to younger physicians, and I basically tell them, look, a well-balanced career is one-third public, one-third private, and one-third civil service. So it's a good balance to contribute to society. And I think, you know, having a purposeful life is one of the secrets of having a happy life. And, and I think uh, folks need balance. And I think that's a great balance to approach life. Yeah, it's very Viktor Frankl-esque of logotherapy. You need to find meaning, whatever form that takes. The last question is, is there anything else you wanted me to ask you that I haven't asked you that you'd like to get across to our audience? You know, I'm glad that mental health is being destigmatized and I'm hopeful that it could be more generally be accepted and that 
you need to take care of the patient as a whole in both physical health and mental health. And, you know, what we're seeing, uh, it's an incredible phenomenon and it's tragic, but a lot of these COVID patients who had very severe illnesses are now seeing lapses of their memory, but also having episodes where they are in severe depression and having low mood. So we are seeing the sequela of a virus that people think is pure physical, but we're seeing the mental health impact. And I think we need to approach the patient in both ways, in both mental as well as physical. Absolutely. It's uh, the sequela, not just in terms of physical distancing and social isolation are contributing to the mental health issues, but even people you think are very well balanced and successful, like the former CEO of Texas Roadhouse, he committed suicide after being a long hauler with COVID and not being able to stand the tinnitus that he got from that infection. That was a very public case. So, uh, Tom, I really want to thank you for taking the time to be with us on the show, but more importantly, for the work that you're doing to raise the line and improve access and quality of mental health care through Valera. Uh, so thanks again. Thanks for having me on, Shiv. Take care. With that, I'm Shiv Lani. Thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.